You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Uh, Not only is it uh, an incredible miracle to have a Savior who went to a cross for us and rose on the third day, but an incredible miracle that we have the Word of God to uh, been preserved through the ages. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. These strong ushers will be happy to give you one, and you will need a Bible. So raise your hand, and you'll enjoy the study so much more. Dave, back up here if we can. A couple more back up here. A few more back up here. Keep your hands up, we'll get you Bibles. We are uh, in an Easter series. Today is the fourth part of our Easter series. And the title of the message is The Power of Jesus' Resurrection. Uh, The title of our series has been Redemption, the Man, the Plan, and the Power of God. And in this four-part series, we have looked at Jesus the Man. This man who comes... In the form of a virgin birth. Why? Well, because he's not any man. He is the God-man. God left heaven, became a man. And uh, what a fascinating story. And we looked at this, and Jesus, as a man, uh, fully God, had all the power of God, had all the divinity of God, but he emptied himself of his glory, and he becomes a regular man. And he lives as a regular man for 30 years, never once doing a miracle, never once using his divine power for his own abilities, never once using his divine power to get out of a jam, going through life as a regular man. He experienced all kinds of abuses. Uh, PG-13, he was called a bastard from his youth. He was teased, he was mocked, he was, and he endured all that as a regular man. At 30 years of age, he's baptized. And for the first time, there's a miraculous sign. At his baptism, a voice booms from heaven. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Then he goes on and does his first miracle at a wedding. In Cana, they run out of wine. He tells the, uh, the, the servants of the wedding, fill the water pots up uh, full. Uh, weddings were a seven-day uh, event in that day. And somewhere in the middle of the wedding, a uh, third, fourth, I don't know when, middle of the wedding, uh, they run out of wine. And he does his first miracle at this wedding. And the question that we had, what we looked at is, why now? Why now? Why now does his voice, booming voice, come from heaven? Why now does he start his ministry with a miracle? And what was the miracle? Well, he turned six pots of water that were used for ceremonial cleansing into wine. And we see that this was very symbolic. This was very prophetic. That ceremonial cleansing was just a foreshadow. It never made anyone clean. It was just a preview. It never made anyone saved. And six, the number of imperfection. Oh, 
Uh, that was an imperfect cleansing. It was only a foreshadow. And this Messiah now starts his ministry with this miracle of turning that water for ceremonial cleansing into a representation of what would be his blood, the wine, the cup of communion. Uh, my blood, Jesus said, shed for the remission of your sin. This inferior in, uh, uh, symbol that could never cleanse, no, now the real thing is here. And at a wedding, why a wedding? Well, because the, he is the bridegroom, and I have good news for you, you are the bride. You are the one he wants to wash. You are the one he wants to forgive. You are the one he wants to cleanse. And you are the one that he wants to have a deep and abiding and amazing, uh, close, intimate relationship with. This is our Savior. That, uh, the series, the man, the plan, and the power of God. And uh, that is the man. He lived as a regular man. That is the plan, the plan of redemption, planned out before the beginning of the world. And now the power of God. He goes to a cross and he resurrects on the third day. Not just to display his power. Yes, that indeed. Showing that he is who he said he what, what is. He foretold in advance this was going to happen. Furthermore, all of the Old Testament showed this was going to happen. How many of you have ever heard the story of Jonah and the whale? And how many of you ever thought, oh, come on. Sounds like a kid's story. It's fun. No, all of the Bible is prophetic, pointing towards Jesus. Jesus would say, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. Jonah, did you know, was a picture of Jesus? Swallowed by a whale, he's as good as what? Dead. Three days in the whale, and then barfed up on the shore of Nineveh. And he goes and preaches to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles get saved. A picture of Jesus. Uh, on and on and on we could go, from Joseph to Adam, and on and on. Every story in the Bible, it's a foreshadow of Jesus. The man, the plan of salvation, laid out before the foundation of the earth, and now the power of God. He brings it all into fruition at the resurrection of Jesus. Showing that he is exactly who he said he was. And uh, he has the power over sin. He has power over death. And he has the power we're going to look at today to give us, you and me, brand new life. A life no longer controlled by this sinful flesh. A life now led and empowered by the Spirit of God. So that's our study for today. Are you ready for that? Let's jump into the word. John chapter 20. And let's pray as we do. Uh, Jesus, as we're opening your Bible right now, as we are uh, opening the book, the scriptures that were dis uh, inspired by you and given to us for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction, that the man of God, the woman of God, might be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Lord, we thank you for preserving your word through the ages that we might have it now in our laps. And now, Lord, we ask that you would give us ears to hear all that is in your scripture. Help us to understand you and speak to us, Lord, for we are calling upon you now. Jesus, thank you for your incredible work on the cross and your incredible power to rise from the dead. 
And now, Lord, we look to you. Speak to your church. Speak to your people. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Uh, The power of Jesus' resurrection. I'm going to switch glasses because I haven't got used to those bifocals yet. They're just, uh, or I guess they don't call them that anymore, do they? The blended lens or whatever. Uh, John chapter 20, are you there? Uh, Verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, what is that? Sunday. This is why we gather on Sundays, because Jesus resurrected on Sunday. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark, or in other words, right at dawn, right as the sun was coming up, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She was shocked. She was confused. Mary Magdalene? Who is she? Well, she was a woman who had a difficult life. She was a woman who had fell into sin and all the bondage that sin brings. And the Bible would say that she was actually demon-possessed. Many, by the way, we look at this as like, oh, that's like, many, by the way, in the world, demon-possessed. Uh, it's not what you think. It's not Freddy Krueger. It's <laughs> There's a spiritual world. And just like we can be led by the Holy Spirit, well, we can also be uh, tempted and, and by an evil spirit. And if Jesus isn't your Savior, there's actually evil spirits that indwell in people. Sounds crazy, I know. Mary Magdalene had this. And Jesus came to her, her life in torment. And Jesus came to her, cleansed her, and gave her brand new life. And so she's at the tomb in the morning. She's uh, a worshiper. The Bible says that he who is forgiven much loves much. Those were Jesus' words. And she was transformed by Jesus. And she's not expecting a resurrection. She goes to the tomb expecting a dead body. Uh, She actually goes with a bunch of gals. Uh, Joanna was there. Joanna is an interesting woman, by the way. Joanna was the wife of Chusa. Uh, You say, big deal. Well, it is kind of a big deal. Chusa was King Herod's CPA. And she got saved by Jesus. And she's there at the tomb with Mary Magdalene. Not only that, uh, Mary was there, we know, other women also, but Mary, uh, the mother of James, little James. There were two James disciples, big James, little James. Little James was one of the 12, and Mary was there with him as well. So we know for sure at least uh, uh, those three women were there. There I think there were more. Uh, So the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, and while it was still dark, she saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. What the heck? I came to uh, just pay homage and and, uh, brought spices and, uh, you know, just wanted to uh, be there, and, and, and she's shocked. And so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus, excuse me, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, the other disciple whom Jesus loved is a euphemism for the disciple John. 
John, the author of this gospel, doesn't want to mention his own name in humility. He just calls himself, say it with me, the disciple who Jesus loved. And you go, well, that's kind of arrogant. Uh, not when you know Jesus. Uh, when you meet Jesus, you can't help but call yourself, oh, I'm the one who Jesus loved. For God so loved you that he became a man for you. And he went to a cross for you that whosoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but would have everlasting life. And the moment you begin to understand his love for you, you yourself will say, I'm the disciple who Jesus loved, right? Uh, I think we can all say that if we're walking with Christ. Uh, and so uh, John calls himself that. So she goes to Peter and to John and she says to him, uh, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Uh, now Jesus repeatedly taught that he was going to be killed. He was going to be scourged. He was going to be whipped. He was going to be beaten. He was going to be handed over to the Romans. He was going to be crucified. And on the third day he would resurrect. None of them heard his words. Because they had a preconceived idea about what Jesus was going to do. I want you to know, we said this in a talk a week or two ago. Uh, uh, our preconceived ideas about God are often what hinder us the most from growing deeper with God. Uh, we have to let God be God. God is not who we want him to be. God is who he is. And their preconceived ideas caused their ears to be dull when Jesus taught them that. And so they come. She's panicking. Guys, we got a problem. Uh, we don't know where Jesus is. Verse 3. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, that would be John, and they were going to the tomb. Check it out. Uh, story sounds crazy. I don't know what she's talking about. I bet, she, I, bet, I bet everything's fine. They go running to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. Uh, that has absolutely no significance of anything. John just wants to tell us he's a faster runner than Peter. Verse 5. And he, that's John, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, and yet he did not go in. Uh, tells us something about John's personality. Uh, John had some reverence, right? Like, uh, you know, some people are like, you can't start, step on a grave gravestone, you know, and we're just out of reverence. Other people just trample through and don't, you know. Uh, well, John had some reverence. He didn't go in. Uh, Peter finally catches up, out of breath. <sighs> Verse 6, Simon Peter came following him and went to the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there. Peter just barges right in. Again, shows the different personalities, right? And he sees the linen clothes lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded in a place by itself. Interesting. Jesus resurrected, comes out of the grave clothes, and he makes the bed. <laughs> right? Uh, verse 8. Then the other disciple, that's John, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. Uh, saw and believed, not that Jesus rose, he saw and believed Mary's report that Jesus was missing. Uh, that's all he believes right here. Verse 9, for as of yet, 
They did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Uh, know there means, uh, it's a word that means um, to understand. They did not grasp. Uh, they heard it, but they didn't grasp it. Then the disciples went away to their own homes. They, that word there means they went back to their old ways. Interesting. Instead of being the ones that were called by God to be builders of men, to change the world, to be disciples of Jesus, they went back to their old ways. Interesting. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. Mary's heart is broken. And she's thinking, oh, Jesus, you were so good to me, right? And as she's weeping there, uh, we read this, but, you know, think about the time that has passed here. How long was she weeping? Uh, uh, verse 12, and she saw the two angels in white, sitting one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been laying. Uh, and there they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. And she did not know it was Jesus. Why didn't she know it was Jesus? Because what's in her head? Jesus is dead. And when she sees a living person there, she barely looks at him because her heart is focused on Jesus. And she thinks Jesus is dead. So Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she barely giving him the time of day at this point, supposing him to be a gardener, supposing him just to be a common dude, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell us where you've laid him and I will take him away. She's just not even really thinking about what she's saying. Uh, and Jesus said to her, Mary. And when he said those words, she said, I know that voice. And she looks up and she actually beholds who's speaking to her. And she turned to him and said, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, which tells us something. What did she do the moment she saw him? <laughs> oh, she grabbed him. Uh, Matthew's gospel tells us that she held Jesus by the feet which means that she fell on her face before him and she grabbed hold of his feet and she probably said something like this, I lost you, I'm never going to lose you again. Um, she clung to him, right? Uh, and Jesus says, don't cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father. Uh, what's he telling her? Mary, you can't cling to me. You can't hold on to me. I'm not going to be here forever. I'm going to be here for 40 days, and I'm going to ascend up into heaven. I'm not who you want me to be, Mary. I'm God, and I have a plan, and you need to learn to walk in my plan. Uh, you're not going to see me face to face for the rest of your life. Uh, you're going to walk with me by faith in the Spirit. Do not cling to me. I'm going to ascend to my Father. Right now, I want you to be a witness of me. Go to my brethren. Uh, my brethren, I want you to underline that brethren, that my brethren, who Jesus is talking about the disciples. 
Can you imagine the humility of Jesus? He has just defeated death single-handedly for humankind. Single-handedly defeated death for all people on the cross. Washed away the sins of all that will come to him, both in history past and in history forward. He is the center object of the universe the day that all of our calendars point to or point away from the Jesus. And there he calls the disciples, calls them what? My brethren. You see, God went through great lengths to become our kinsman redeemer. Jesus' favorite title for himself was the Son of Man. Because it reveals all that he went through to purchase our salvation, becoming a man. And he says, go and tell my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father. Again, how gracious of him. And to my God and to your God. Mary, I want you to go tell the disciples this. I am resurrected. And so Mary Magdalene came and runs and tells the disciples that she has seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. And I wonder, how do you think that went when she spoke those things to her? Well, we know uh, uh, um, it didn't go well. Uh, uh, they, uh, they, they, didn't, they didn't hear her. Uh, Some interesting things that we can, we can glean from this that I want to begin to unpack. Number one, uh, right out of the gate, uh, ladies, let me have your attention just for a moment. You can't but help, help but notice the girl power. Who's at the tomb? All the ladies. Where are the guys? Right? Where are the disciples? Here it is Sunday morning and she's there worshiping. Uh, uh, doesn't have all her theology right. But at least, her, at least her what is right? Her heart is right. Her heart is right. And uh, God honors that. God sees that. And God, Jesus chooses to show himself in his resurrected body first to the women whose hearts were moved for him. That reveals something about how we get to know Jesus. Uh, a broken heart and a contrite spirit God cannot resist. Uh, there are a lot of people who come to God with duplicitous motives. Oh, because I want to go to heaven. I don't really care about God. I just want to go to heaven. You think God doesn't see that? Uh, I, I just need God's blessing. I'm sick. I got a financial problem. Okay, well, God may in his grace bless you, right? But you think he doesn't see the heart? Here he sees the heart of these women. They're there for him and for him alone. And that is who he chooses to reveal himself to. Uh, may we take note. Set your heart on the person of Jesus Christ. On the person of God. And God will reveal himself powerfully to you. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Uh, Jesus would say, all who come to me, I will in no way cast out. But he's very interested in why we come to him. And here we see how much he loves a, 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 a heart for him. Uh, uh, as a sidebar, uh, kind of a totally uh, unrelated, but uh, now for the skeptics in the world, 
If the disciples, there are those who say, well, you know, the disciples invented the resurrection. Uh, the disciples weren't even looking for a resurrection. It was the last thing on their minds. They were not even expecting Jesus to rise. And all four Gospels report the fact that the women were the first person, first persons to go to the tomb and to see the resurrected Jesus. I want you to know, in the Middle East, women are not very respected. Do you know this? Uh, they are treated very poorly. And if the disciples were going to make a story, if they were going to fabricate a lie about the resurrection of Jesus, the last thing in the world that they would fabricate is that women would be the one who saw him and reported his resurrection while they were hiding in a locked room. While the men were hiding in a locked room. If it was a man-made story, it would be very different. The men were championing on the top of a mountain saying, God has risen from the dead and Jesus appeared in glory to them as they were preaching. That's what the story would look like, but it's not. And it really shows uh, some of the, uh, just an ancillary uh, uh, proof of the veracity of the resurrection. Furthermore, all of the disciples except John were martyred for their faith. They were all killed for their faith. And all they had to do to avoid death was simply say, Jesus did not resurrect from the grave. And they would have been able to save their lives. But all of them uh, went to the execution table, if you will, uh, because they would not recant that Jesus was alive. James was beheaded. Philip was crucified. Matthew was killed with a harbord, uh, a sword with like an axe handle on it. Uh, Peter was crucified upside down after they crucified his wife right before his eyes and said, recant that Jesus is alive or we're going to kill your wife. And he wouldn't recant. And then they said, we're going to crucify you too. And he said, I'm not worthy. Crucify me upside down. And so they did. Uh, Andrew was skinned alive. Can you imagine? Skinned alive. And all he had to do is say, Jesus didn't resurrect. Paul, who became an apostle later, was beheaded. And all he had to do was say, Jesus wasn't alive. Furthermore, in the first two centuries, there were at least two million Christian martyrs. It's amazing there were two million Christians in the first two centuries after that kind of start. How did the church ever get going? Uh, I say all that to say, anyone who says that the resurrection of Jesus was fabricated hasn't looked an ounce into the evidence. Chuck Colson, who was a member of uh, President Nixon's, uh, uh, you know, uh, cabinet, uh, when he investigated Watergate, uh, he found that uh, people started, just in a matter of a very short time, just in a matter of weeks, people started ratting each other out. And then uh, he wasn't a Christian at the time. Later he investigated the, the he, became, he came to Christ by investigating the, the, the story of Jesus' death and resurrection. And when he looked at the historical evidence, he realized, oh my gosh, 
at Watergate, they couldn't go just a few weeks without ratting each other out. These men died for their faith. Years after, without ever recanting, and not only did they, but hundreds, no, thousands, no, millions. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is resolute. And uh, all of our, all of history, as I mentioned, either points to it or from it. So anyway, back to our story. Uh, the disciples are devastated. They're devastated by Jesus' death. And they run to the tomb, and they're still devastated. Where is he? They don't know. Uh, they're discouraged. They're scared. Uh, God disappointed them. God didn't move like they thought God was going to move. What did they think was going to happen when they followed Jesus? Well, they thought Jesus was going to set up his kingdom. Why did they think that? Well, because it's pro prophesied in the Bible over and over and over. You see, Jesus is coming back to rule and reign. He's alive and well. His, he didn't just resurrect 2,000 years ago and then now he's gone. No, no, no. He's alive and well. He's still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is coming back soon and very soon to rule and to reign and to judge planet Earth. The Bible gives so much prophecy about a second coming. Over 316 prophecies of his first coming, all of them fulfilled verbatim, there are even more prophecies about his second coming. And I tell you what, as I am reading the news, I'm watching them be fulfilled as we speak. Be wise. They thought Jesus was going to set up his kingdom. They read all those prophecies and they thought he was going to do that at his first coming. And so they're discouraged. Uh, they... Uh, uh, came there, everything they expected had, had been broken. Uh, three years of following Jesus. They had sold their biz. They had left everything behind. Uh, it was wonderful. They thought Jesus would set up this kingdom, and now it's come to a crashing halt. Jesus has died. But not only did he die, he was tried as a hardened criminal. And he was executed in a gruesome death between two criminals and it did not go well he was scourged with a cat of nine tails until all the skin and muscle was torn off his back his beard was ripped out of his face he was beaten so badly you couldn't even tell who he was and they saw that they thought this isn't what i signed up for and so now they're wondering what do we do uh uh to kill Jesus, the religious leaders had lied and manipulated uh, the Roman government, Pilate specifically, and they had played him like a pawn. The religious leaders had hired false witnesses to testify of Jesus that he had done these things. They had made up a lie that he was uh, uh, trying to overthrow Rome as the king of the Jews, and, and they had just lied and lied and hired protesters, and you know what? They had won. And now, these religious leaders, these powerful religious leaders, are still in power. And guess what the disciples are worried about? They're coming after us, his 12. And so they're hiding in a locked room, not believing the words of Jesus. On top of all that, 
They are plagued with their own guilt and their own failure. Why? What are they plagued with? Well, they promised Jesus. Oh, we'll stand by you. When Jesus told them, I'm going to be betrayed and arrested. Oh, we'll never let it happen. We'll stand by you. And Jesus told them, no, you won't. For the scripture says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will flatter, scatter. Uh, the moment that I am, you're going to run. And sure enough, guess what they all did? They all abandoned Jesus. And so they're, uh, they left in self-preservation. And so they're just stricken with guilt. Have you ever blown it really bad? Have you ever really hurt someone that you really love? Uh, imagine Jesus, eyes swollen and bleating shut, and he opens his eyes and he sees you as you know you've betrayed him. Imagine the guilt and the remorse that they're carrying. Jesus had transformed their life and they betrayed him. Never had they heard a man teach like Jesus. When he spoke, he changed their lives. They grew tremendously under his leadership. He, he was able to reveal things about them that were hindering them from progressing as the men God called them to be. And the things that he spoke brought light and illumination into their life, and they grew. Never before had they seen such power and such authority. He healed people. He could come to a paralyzed guy and say, rise up and walk, and he would. He could come to a blind person and, and give them sight. He could calm a storm with a word, peace, be still, and the storm, and the waves would stop. They had never seen such power. They had never seen such authority. He fed 5,000. There was no limit to his power. Even when he was arrested, there were scores, perhaps hundreds of Roman soldiers from the Antonio Fortress, all with spears and weaponry of the, that was the state of the art of the day. And a great troop came to arrest Jesus. And Jesus said, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am. And they all fell over backwards. There was no end to his power. And they were shocked that this happened. He transformed their lives. Not only were they in awe of his power, but they were in awe of his, his humility. For normally when men have power, it goes to their heads. And you know they have power. They make sure you know they have power. And they lord their authority over you. And they make sure you serve them. Jesus didn't. On the night he was betrayed and arrested, he girded himself as a waiter and he washed their feet. They had never seen such Power, such authority, coupled with such humility. He was tender. He was approachable. He would say, children, come to me. No, let him come to me. Let him sit on my lap. He would care about the widow, about the fatherless. He would care about those who had nothing. And he would treat kings with no different than he would treat a pauper. 
He never went and tried to go to the powerful and rub shoulders with them, rub elbows with them. It was just, he was amazing. And oh, how he loved. He loved so much that all I can say is, I'm the disciple who Jesus loved. When he spoke, I felt my worth. When he looked at me, he knew me. And when he knew me, he still loved me. I'd never been loved like this before. He wasn't trying to get anything out of me. He didn't love me for what I could bring to the table. He just loved me for me. And they were moved. And his life-giving words, oh, they touch my soul. They touch my soul. Jesus was the best thing that ever happened to me. And yet, not one of us stood with him at his death. And each of them would say, I betrayed him. And the pain that they're experiencing from that is hindering them. Guilt is a horrible thing, is it not? And feeling like failures, the disciples lock themselves in a room trying to sort all of this out. And the plot thickens as they consider our lives might be in jeopardy now as well. And so they hide in this locked room. They sit wondering, what will we do? And the, woman, the women come to him and say, hey, he's alive. Mary Magdalene comes back, I've seen him. I grabbed onto his feet. He said, don't cling to me. And they tell, they tell the, she tells the disciples this, and it doesn't go well. Look what Luke's gospel tells us about this. This is Luke 24. Uh, let me hear you read this. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told the, these things to the disciples. And let's read this, verse 11. And their words seemed to them like idle tales. They did not believe them. Yeah, he, re, he rose from the grave. Yeah, sure. You saw him. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they just thought they were silly women. Uh, so what does Jesus do? Jesus comes and he shows the disciples that he's alive. He comes and he appears to them. Look at verse 19. This is so cool. Then the same day. What day is that? Sunday. At evening now. So it's uh, later in the day. Being the first day of the week. When the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Why were the doors shut? They're hiding, right? Uh, I want you to know, without Jesus, we live in fear. Without Jesus, we live in fear. Oh, we live in fear of losing our finances. Oh, we live in fear of losing our beauty, using our, losing our, our looks. Oh, we live in fear of uh, what if I never get married? Oh, we live in fear of what if they don't like me? Oh, we live in fear of what are they going to think about me? We live in fear of what if there's a financial collapse? Banks are failing. We have a million fears. Without Jesus, we live in fear. And there the disciples were living in fear, going, oh, he died. I don't know what to do now. Without Jesus, we will always live in fear. Jesus comes and he stood in the midst of them, just appears when the doors were shut, he just suddenly goes, whoop. And here we learn something about a resurrected body. 
It has no limits. Uh, he can make himself appear as a regular man. He can also appear in the radiant Shekinah glory that he is. And he just comes through the walls right here and he appears and he stands in the midst of them. And Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and he said, peace be with you. And here we see something else. Without Jesus, we live in fear. With Jesus, we live in what? Peace. Guys, I'm not mad at you. Guys, it's okay. Guys, the world isn't falling apart. Rome isn't going to do anything to you that I'm not going to allow. I'm, I'm sovereign over all things. Peace be with you. I've got all things under control. And when he had said this, he showed him his hands and his side. Now, we only get a little bit of the story here, but I can imagine. Uh, can you imagine how they hugged him? How he loved him? How he loved them? How they loved him? Oh, my gosh. And he shows them his hands, and he shows them his side, and he says, I did this for you. Remember I told you. This was the plan laid out before the foundation of the world. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Uh, uh, he just had, you know, that's an understatement, right? Can you imagine what this was like? Verse 21, then Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. They had gone back to their own ways. And what is Jesus saying here? No, 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 no. My plan continues. I want to use your life. We're going to move forward. Look at verse 20, 22. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. I want to empower your life. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. We'll look at that in just a bit. Now, Thomas, uh, called the twin. Uh, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The, the other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. He's alive. And he said to them, unless I see the hands, excuse me, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into a side, I will not believe. Uh, we call him Doubting Thomas for this reason, right? And look at this. Thomas's heart, doubting. Thomas's heart, not, not, not believing. And look at verse 26. And after eight days, how long did Thomas have to go doubting and unbelieving? An entire week, man. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with him. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, once again just pops in the room, and stood in the midst and says to them again, peace to you. Again, when we are with Jesus, we are in total peace. And by the way, Jesus appeared to the disciples many, many times. He commissioned them. He gave them instructions. Ultimately, he told them all go to Galilee. And there in Galilee, he appeared to over 500 disciples at one time and gave them commissions on what to do. Uh, gave them the great commission to go out into all the world and to preach a gospel. He appeared to them many, many times. Uh, verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, all right, Thomas, come on over, buddy. Reach your finger in here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here. Put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Who did he call Jesus? My Lord and 
My God, Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus didn't say blasphemy. No, he is God in the flesh. Lord means your authority, your master, your boss, your ruler. God means the one who created you. Uh, he is both. He is both. My Lord and my God. Verse 29. And Jesus said to, to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, a lot of different appearances which were not written in this book. But these things are written for two reasons. Number one, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, uh, the Christ. Christ means the anointed one. It means the Messiah. They're synonymous, the Son of God. And secondly, that you might believe uh, that, uh, that believing you may have life in his name. What kind of life is he talking about? Eternal life, abundant life, meaningful life, a life with purpose. Uh, so Jesus appears to his disciples. He shows that he's alive. He says, hey, I still have a plan for you. I still want to use you. And I tell you what, I am so glad that the disciples were messed up guys and that Jesus still uses them. I'm so glad that God uses messed up people. Do you know why? Because I can relate to messed up people. Uh, I can't even keep time, as you well know. Uh, and I'm thankful that God uses messed up people. And pay attention. Note this to yourself. Jesus doesn't write the disciples off when they fall and when they sin miserably. Wow. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't say, oh man, I can't even believe you didn't believe, you didn't believe the most important thing I taught you. Can't use you now. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't write us off when we sin and when we fall miserably. Uh, they were feeling bad about themselves. They were feeling horrible. And Jesus says, guys, it's okay. What is the first words out of his mouth to them was what? Peace. I went to the cross to forgive you of all your messiness. I went to the cross to forgive you of all your miserable failures. I went to the cross to forgive you of all the things that you stumble and blunder in. This is why I became a man. This was the whole scope of my ministry. This is what I do. And here he doesn't write them off. He appears to them many times over the next 40 days to love them, to restore them, to reassure them, to recommission them, and uh, to take them out of their wayward path and to set them back on the right path. Psalm 23 says that he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake the, as the good shepherd. Do you know how many times in my life I've been saved now for 34 years, I believe, uh, 1989, whatever that, where I, where I, uh, 34 years. You know how many times I've gone sideways? A gajillion. Do you know how many times he's got me instantly before I get too far on that path and says, no, 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 that's not the way I want you to go, right back this way. I am so thankful. Uh, Jesus doesn't write us off when we mess up. He recommissions us and he sends them back on the right path. Uh, it's exactly what he does in the disciples' life, and it's exactly what he does in my life, and it's exactly what he does in your life if you make him the Lord of your life. And I'm so thankful. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And then when my life is over, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a good shepherd. 
This is who he is. This is what he does. Uh, Notice how he recommissions his disciples here. Look at verse 21 one more time. Jesus came to them and said, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they're retained. What does all that mean? Here's what he says. Guys, just like I came on a mission from God, I'm sending you out on a mission from God. You're still my guys. I still have a plan for your life. And I want you to know, if you're out, you're to go out and you're to build the kingdom. You're to tell the world that uh, I'm the savior and that your sins can be forgiven and you can have brand new life just by coming to me and accepting me as your Lord, uh, making me the Lord, realizing how much I love you and saying, man, if if you love me like that, I want to know you. Go tell people that. And then if you tell them you, they have forgiveness of sin, guess what they have? He says, forgiveness of sin. I stand before you with total authority, not my authority, the authority of Jesus Christ. If you make him the Lord of your life, you have forgiveness of sin. And if you don't, you have the weight of your sin on your own shoulders and you are in trouble. Jesus says, I send you out. I still want to use you. And I give you authority. If you say to someone their sins are forgiven based on all the things I've taught you, then their sins are forgiven. And if you tell people their sins aren't forgiven, their sins aren't forgiven. You know the gospel, in other words. You know the, you know the story. Uh, he had trained them. And this is what he's telling them. Uh, and that tells us something, doesn't it? Jesus is telling the disciples, I still want to use your life in powerful ways. And church, I want you to know this. This is where life gets exciting. Jesus wants to use your life in powerful ways. I know that's hard for you to believe. But I want you to actually say the words out loud. Begin to get them written on your heart. I want you to say this. Jesus wants to use my life in powerful ways. Will you say that? Now say it like with gusto. Like you are blown away. Let me hear you. Wow, the creator of the universe actually created you on purpose. And that purpose was that you might know his great love for you and that you might enter in into the family business, if you will. He has work for you to do. He wants you to be a great mom to the glory of Jesus Christ. And he wants to walk with you every step of the way. So that when you train up those little children, God's hand is upon you and he's doing it with you. Dad, same thing. Uh, Businessman, he's got a plan for you. Uh, Businesswoman, he's got a plan. You are a light to the world. I want to use your life. And I tell you what, man, life gets rewarding when we begin to walk in that plan. Jesus wants to partner with us to build his kingdom. It is the most rewarding life we could ever live. The apostle Paul would say it this way. For me to live is Christ. It's life, man. It's amazing. And then when I die, it's even better. I get to go be with him. But for me to live is Christ. 
Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. What are you going to live for? The stock market? For being a real estate developer? For making a widget at some company? What the heck? You're going to work all your life? Like, yeah, I made two million widgets in my lifetime. Well, good for you, widget maker. <laughs> or are you going to say, I walked with God. I had a relationship with him. And we partnered together. And we built lives. We built people. He taught me how to love. He taught me how to be a builder of men. He taught me how to speak truth into my kids' lives. And man, you should see my kids. You should see the fruit of what Jesus and I have done together. This is what he wants. And it is the most rewarding life you can walk in. And I want you to know, you say, I don't know if I could do that. That's not me. That's not me. That's you, pastor. That's you. Yeah, it's me. I love that it's me, man. I love walking in this path. But I want you to know, I am no better than you. I stumble all the time. And so did the disciples. And here's what I want you to know. Jesus is merciful. He's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for real people who are moved by his love. I face temptation just like you do. I'm no different. I don't walk around in the pulpit. I don't get out of my car and I got a pulpit right there. <laughs> I get out of my car and the sin of the world is all around me just like it is you. But God says, hey, my grace will cover you of your failures. I still have a plan for you. I want to use your life. Uh, allow his grace to move you. Uh, Jesus knows all of your faults, all of your flaws, all of your sins, all of your insecurities, all of your hurts, all of your hangups, all of your stumbles, and he still wants to use your life. Is that not good news? And I tell you, it is so rewarding to walk in this life. I want you to know, I do this not because I'm paid. Because I made a lot more money in the business world, just to be honest with you. I remember when I started ministry. This is a true story. I don't know why I'm telling you this. Uh, <laughs> when I started ministry uh, decades ago, my first year's salary was less than my quarterly taxes that I used to pay. I don't care. You know why? Because this is the joy of my heart. And if I get fired for being your pastor because I preach too long, I'm still going to go everywhere I can telling people about Jesus, right? It's the most rewarding thing there is to do. And so I want you to know this. Jesus did not die on the cross for good people. That's not why Jesus became a man. Jesus, Jesus died on a cross to cleanse sinners like me, sinners like you, and to say, I want to use your life. And it's so incredible to be loved that way, to know that I don't deserve any of this. And yet he says, oh man, I've got plans for you that are bigger than you could ever know. I want to walk with you. Jesus would come and he would say, those who are well don't need a physician. Those who are sick need a physician. Can I tell you something? There is no one well. All of us are decaying and dying. And bigger than that, all of us have a terminal illness called sin. All of us are faulty and flawed. And Jesus says, I didn't come 
for those who are healthy, because there aren't any. I came for those who are sick, because that's everybody. We've all sinned against God. All of us. We've all, let me say it another way, we've all sinned against our creator, the one who made us. And instead of worshiping God, you know who we've worshiped? Ourselves. You have a little Instagram shrine of you. You wake up in the morning and you think about you. So do I. We wake up and we try to make ourselves look the best we can. Why? Because we're worshiping who? Ourselves. And we've sinned against God. Got to get these tears out of my eyes. And instead of loving God, guess who we've loved? Ourselves. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Guess who we put before him? Ourselves. He also says you should love your neighbor as yourself. Guess how often we do that? Rarely. We always think about our needs before our neighbor's needs. We've sinned against God. And we continue to sin against God. We've all lied for selfish gain. We've all spoke ill of someone else for selfish gain. We've all been sexually immoral in thought or in action for selfish gain. We've all been covetousness at, covetous at times for selfish gain. We've all been high-minded. Uh, we've all cheated for selfish gain. We've stolen for selfish gain. If not material things, we've stolen taking credit for things that we shouldn't take credit for. We've all sinned and, and, and against God. And can I tell you something horrifying? People who have no atonement for their sin will face the wrath of God. We looked at Good Friday as Jesus was on the cross. Darkness fell on the face of the earth at noon. And it was there for three hours. And that darkness was the wrath of God poured out not on sinners but on the sin bearer Jesus as the divine executioner God poured out his wrath on sin and those who don't have atonement for their sin atonement means a covering they will face what say it with me okay you said it I don't want anybody leaving here today not knowing if you do not have atonement for your sin, you will face the wrath of God. I want to give you a couple of verses that show this. Revelation 21, verse 8. Let me hear you read this. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the filthy, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death. I want you to know something. You will live eternally one way or another. You are a soul. Your body will die, but your soul will remain. Souls do not die. They were created to live with God forever, but sin separates us from God. And the Bible clearly teaches that if you do not have atonement for your sin, you will live in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone 
which is the second death. It's, we're not talking a physical death here. We're talking a spiritual, eternal death separated from God. Uh, another verse for you, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, let me hear you read. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. I don't care if you change all the laws of the land and make all those things legal. It doesn't change God. And no one who does these things will inherit the kingdom of God. We uh, are in trouble. People who have no atonement for their sin will face the wrath of God. And you say, well, wait, 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 hang on a minute there. I'm a good person. I try to be good. Well, I'll say one thing, good for you, that's, that's notable. But the very statement that you, are, that you are a good person, do you realize that only reveals your incredible arrogance? For you are far from a good person. You might be a good person compared to Jeffrey Dahmer. And I'm sure you are. But you're not a good person as far as goodness is concerned. Have you ever loved your neighbor as yourself on a regular basis? Well, yeah, I did it once in 1993. That's not what the commandment is. Have you ever put God first in your life? We've all sinned against God. And if we are not in Jesus Christ, we will face the wrath of God. I want you to know, uh, the Bible is clear. My good deeds, your good deeds cannot atone for our sins, it's not possible. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man will ever come before God apart from me. Uh, the Bible teaches us over and over. We don't have time to go into it. But I want you to know, if we refuse to embrace Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, God will judge our life by our actions. And God will judge our life by our behaviors. And you say, oh, good. That's what I was hoping for. Yeah, because I, I, I think I've done pretty good. All right. Uh, well, you're going to be judged by your actions. You're going to get what you wish. And that's going to happen. You're going to be judged by your actions at the great white throne judgment. You ever heard of it? It's real. Uh, Revelation 20. Uh, let's take a look at what God says about this. Then I saw... A great white throne, and him who sat on it. His name? Jesus. And from it, uh, whose face the earth and heaven fled away. Uh, you'll be removed from all of it. You'll be before Jesus and nothing else at a great white throne. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great. What does that mean? Homeless dude? And president of the United States and everything in between. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And read these, these four words with me. What does it say? And books were opened. Books that record all the deeds of your life. Uh, let's go on. And another book was opened. That was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. 
Let's go on. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. What does that tell us? It tells us that no one ever will be righteous by their works. Their name is not in the book of life. They're at the great white throne judgment. And their doom is the lake of fire. If our name is not in the book of life, God will judge us by our deeds. And we just read, not one person makes it by their deeds. All go to the lake of fire. Jesus' death provides atonement for all who make him Lord. No one, uh, everyone will go to the lake of fire without atonement over their life. But I want you to know, you can have atonement. That's what Jesus came for. Jesus provides atonement for those who make him Lord. Atonement means a covering. It does something amazing. Uh, the word is a great uh, illustration of this. Atonement means at one mint. At one with God. It's a covering. And Jesus provides atonement for all who make him Lord. Make Jesus your Lord and your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. For Jesus died on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God. And he satisfied it for all those who are in him. Uh, just incredible. Uh, Romans 5.19 says, For by one man's disobedience to God, many became sinners. And by one man's obedience to God, many will be made righteous. You choose who you want to be related to. Adam or Jesus? Choice is ours by faith. Jesus said, he who comes to me, I will in no way cast out. The last thing I want to give you is uh, uh, one last point. When we come to Jesus as Lord, he does something amazing. He empowers us to live for him by his spirit. By his spirit, he empowers us to live a brand new life. And it is so incredible. I want you to know we cannot live a godly life on our own no matter how hard we try. And you've tried. Oh, I'm going to be nice. I'm going to quit getting so angry. I'm going to quit looking at pornography. I'm going to start. I'm going to quit lying. And we do good for how many days? I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to quit gambling. I'm going to quit being such an arrogant pig. I'm going to quit uh, being so boastful everywhere I go. I'm going to quit being a glutton. And we do good for maybe a couple of days. But sin is a powerful force. And it enslaves us. And it hinders us from living the life that God planned for us to live. But I have good news. Jesus' death and resurrection broke the power of sin. It restores our relationship with God so that we can be filled with his Holy Spirit. And his Spirit gives me the ability to now live this new life that he calls me to live. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.